Hi, everybody. This is a podcast where a real doctor discusses fake medical emergencies. This means that unless Desmond is your constant, this podcast is not medical advice. If you need medical advice or medical care, please contact your doctor. Also, a quick note before we get into the episode. I made a mistake when I was taking notes. On The Resident, Manish Dial plays Dr. Devin Pravesh, not Dr. Devin Patel. Sorry for the mix-up. Hi, everybody. I'm Jackson Vane. I'm Johnny Kolosinski. You might remember me from such podcasts as Dances with Wolverine, my attempt to write a cinematic universe that includes Kevin Costner. I thought you were going to make a make fun of like Michigan for losing the Ohio State. Oh, I absolutely could have done that. That was what I thought we were going at. <laughs> I'm not even from Ohio State, and I even know that's like the easy joke you could have made right there. That would have been the better one, yep. but I didn't. Uh, this is Hi, Everybody, a Bad Medicine podcast. Every week we talk about... Uh, what Hollywood gets right and wrong about medicine and how the body works. Yep. Uh, you can find this podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Hi Everybody MD, and on our brand new sparkling website, Hi Everybody MD.com. Yep. Um, you can also leave us a message or leave us um, comments, questions, suggestions in the future at 530-DOCTORB. That is 530-362-8672. And remember, the extra B, at least for this week, stands for. Boy, did this one suck this week. Oh, Jackson, it, the B is for broken. I this, I don't think I've ever been so frustrated and looked at the clock more than for this week's topic. Yeah, uh, this is one that has been on our list for a while. Well, we haven't done a medical show yet, and we thought this one might be the way to start. Yeah, and we hate ourselves. Oh, yeah. We hate our lives. Uh, everything is, is awful. Um, yeah. We are going to be discussing the pilot episode of Fox's The Resident. Yep, and it is horrendous. Yeah, it, it was... I'm I'm not a doctor, guys. I'm not sure if you know this. Uh, <laughs> I might have might have mentioned that in passing a couple times in some episodes. Even I knew that this was just garbage on a stick. Yeah, the episode was, what, 40-something minutes long? And yeah. it took us more than an hour and a half to get through it because I paused so many times. We paused in the opening scene multiple times. I stopped yeah. saying, I'm taking too many notes. Yeah. We I, need to pause. Yeah, it, it hurt. Um, I mean, if you've never seen the show before, it's about this very, I guess, optimistic, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed um, intern on his first day, mm-hmm. at least for the pilot, and then meets this very brash, very, quote-unquote, seasoned senior resident, and yeah. he's paired up with him, which I've never heard of one resident being paired up with another senior resident for the entire duration of their residency. It makes no sense because at some point, that other resident or doctor graduates Mm -hmm. it's really hard to be paired up with one person if every year their status is changing right because then he would need to learn how to be a fellow or he would get a fellowship somewhere else or because someone you graduate at some point so but let's just i'm jumping ahead like this whole episode starts in the or where they're doing an appendectomy and you can see where we learn the chief of surgeon or the chief of surgery is Bad. Like, yeah, wrist deep in someone's abdomen to remove an appendix. Right. Which is not what you want to do. If you have an appendix that's already kind of swollen and angry, the last thing you want to do is squeeze it. <laughs> it is going to burst. And that is the biggest complication that we worry about with any kind of um, uh, appendicitis is whether or not it's perforated or not. Because um, just kind of basically explaining what an appendix is it's just like something that hangs off at the end of your intestine and that is still connected to your intestine so if your right. appendix bursts whatever's inside of your intestines is now inside your abdominal cavity so that means you got poop in there mm-hmm. poop and bacteria and and the I'm, I'm gonna say super bacteria but that's not the right term but whatever it is that was infecting your back your appendix yeah and usually your appendix not so much was infected it could be just because it's swollen because mm-hmm. you got a poop stone in it um called an appendicolith, which can actually cause it to be inflamed and swollen as well. So all of that together can cause a lot of issues. Okay, so it's generally not 
It not could be the an infection of the. It, it's not always the, an infection of the appendix itself. That's the danger in a burst appendix. Yeah, it's it's the fact that you're pooping into your own insides. You're pooping into your own insides, but also you're at higher risk for getting like abscesses and mm-hmm. stuff like that too. So you can actually get septic, and just irritate all of your organs, and that will shut down your um like make your intestines not move really well, and then that'll go into your bloodstream and cause more issues. But most of the time, we don't have to cut I say we in a general term because I'm not a surgeon but most of the time what surgeons do is they'll do a laparoscopic uh, appendectomy which means they just make a tiny tiny incision and then send tools in there to do all the work like they use a camera they blow up the belly Mm -hmm. like we we talked about last week we talked about this or two weeks ago a few weeks ago yeah where we blow up the belly um, so we can look in there and then you know look for the appendix and take it out it's very minimally invasive it's not that bloody as you see in Mm -hmm. that whole thing but the crazier part was, I think there was another resident in there, and she was doing surgery with the chief, so she was really excited and wanted to take a selfie. Right. Which is such a big no-no. Yeah, that, that like, just from HIPAA laws, that yeah. would be an issue, let alone the a, sterility yeah. and... You shouldn't be bringing your cell phone, at least not having your cell phone in your pocket or anything like that. Like... Yes, we do listen to music inside of the operating room mm-hmm. um, because, you know, it's, you need something to distract. You can't just work in complete silence or anything like that. So hearing music in the OR is not an uncommon thing. But calling the anesthesiologist from behind his, um, his drape while he should be monitoring the medications that are given and whatnot to take a picture of everybody in the operating suite is really really bad form people have been fired for way less with taking pictures well that's not the worst thing that happens no because while everyone is is taking those pictures uh, dr mcstupid I, call, I like to call him dr shaky hands dr shaky hands gets <clears throat> shaky hands severs uh something something a severs a blood carrying tube yeah and i think the only tube if he was like really shaky and goes really deep would be like they, with that much velocity, probably the aorta or something mm-hmm. like that. And that would come out like with quite great force. Which it did. It did. Um, it would also look very bright red. Because um, that's the, mm-hmm. the main highway that comes off of your heart, basically. So then and he they, would be able to sever something that that not voluminous when he was n- somewhere in the appendix He region. would have cut through... Well, if he did, that means he had such a massive spasm that his hands were under all of his intestines... And at the base, pretty much like near the bottom of your your abdominal cavity, and then nix it. Okay, so that's unlikely. Unlikely, unless he has the worst spasm ever, and also the biggest knife ever. And he just had some shaky hands. Yeah. So he needed the knife. Uh, he, he needed the I don't care what knife from Blacklist. Yes. So probably like a Cutco knife or something right. like that to do all that. I noticed in that scene uh, that in those few seconds. Mm-hmm. Uh, the patient had lost two liters of blood. So that did not look like two liters of that blood. That didn't look like two liters of blood. We that, have about five liters in our body. Correct. Two liters that quick. Number one, is there a way to measure how much blood a patient has lost? So we actually do estimate like that. Like mm-hmm. during an operation, you'll actually see in their operating note estimated blood loss. So okay. you can do that based on how many gauzes you've soaked um, when you're suctioning. So there's always someone there with... Like a suction, and mm-hmm. that suction actually goes to a canister, and that canister has a gradated or gray, has, a graduated cylinder. There you go, um, something like that. But it actually has marks on the side of it telling uh-huh. how many um, cc's of fluid have been lost, and you can convert that to how many, how much volume you've lost. It's really hard to just go, yep, that's about two liters, based on what's on someone's shirt. Correct. That's very hard. You don't know how much it got soaked. Mm-hmm. You don't know how many shirts it soaked through, or anything like that. So. Once he lost all that blood, then the surgeon starts panicking and just starts doing the most willy-nilly compressions I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Um, but that patient still had a pulse. And I know he still has a pulse because we had sub- uh, subtitles on, and it said, heart monitor beeping. Yeah. You can't have heart monitor beeping if you didn't have a pulse. Right. So So did he not need compressions yet? No. Uh, I don't think he did. What he needed was fluids. He needed fluids, and he needed them to clamp off whatever it was that he cut. Correct. The, the anesthesiologist was calling for blood, but really you want to get the volume up because you want to make sure they can still maintain their blood pressure and perfusion. So usually giving fluids or something, which is much easier to get in the OR than blood from mm-hmm. the blood bank. 
So I would give fluids right away just to try to maintain blood pressure, giving epinephrine or something like that so you can constrict the blood vessels so you can still maintain blood pressure. That's like the big stuff that you should be doing um, while you're trying to stabilize this patient. Or alternatively, you can come up with a lie. Yes, which is what they all did. Right. Um, they all took off their single glove, which in the... <laughs> I know that's a very... That. So that's a very nitpicky thing. But usually when you're in the OR, you're wearing two gloves just in case if you snag on a bone or something like that and you tear through one glove, you're still sterile. So that mm-hmm. way you can slide on another glove and be fine. But everyone just wore one single glove so not like michael jackson style but correct. as in they didn't layer they didn't double layer yeah and you should always layer it's cold in the or you want to layer anyways and layering your gloves is actually a pretty important safe thing to do especially if you're in a, a situation where any small mishap can break sterility mm-hmm. so that was a big thing so going back to what you were talking about when everyone tried to blame everyone else or come up with a lie so the surgeon blamed anesthesiologist for not giving enough SIVO, which is an anesthetic. Um, because the patient seized, which did happen. I don't know if he seized. It looked like he, he just moved. jumped up and yeah. like moved, which means he wasn't sedated enough. Mm-hmm. Which, yes, bad anesthesiologist on that part. But then uh, the chief of surgery says that he was at the end of a 30-hour shift, which I've never heard of any chief of surgery or chief of anything. I thought he was saying that the anesthesiologist was at the end of a 30-hour shift and so made that mistake. And even then, though, attendings don't, at least anesthesiology at this high level is what they're trying to portray it as, usually don't do, like, huge long things. They usually do shifts, like, mm-hmm. still 12 and 12. Like, that's probably more than enough is what most of them would do. Especially in this kind of situation, if they're feeling tired, they should have had someone on backup already. So that's not a good excuse either. And then they're all trying to lie and stuff like that. But the thing that the chief should have recognized too is whenever you're in an OR situation like this, everything is meticulously recorded. Mm-hmm. Uh, vital signs are automatically recorded. Can't go back and change it without actually showing that someone went in and changed it. When you give any anesthesia, they actually measure the volumes or the levels of the mm-hmm. medication being given to. So that's actually shown. Um, anytime they would notice rapid blood loss or anything like that or a rapid alteration um, change in vital signs, it's all documented. Mm-hmm. So you can't really lie that the patient had a heart attack because you would have seen that on the cardiac monitoring. You can't lie that the patient had a pulmonary embolism because you would have seen other vital signs that would have indicated all of that before. And that should have been screened out before this was done. So you wouldn't be able to even proceed to this kind of surgery without having... Um, discuss all the risks and having a high-risk anesthesiologist or something like that on already. And that was kind of the excuse that they came up with was that uh, that he shouldn't have pa- the patient shouldn't have passed that screen because he had a family history of heart problems. Yeah, which that you can't. That's still your still at fault. Mm-hmm. There's no way about this. You you messed up real bad. Now, so there were what four doctors in the room there. We had the anesthesiologist, we had the two selfie doctors, and we had the oh yeah, and, then the, and chief, the chief of surgery, the ho dad, hands of death and destruction. Correct. Yeah, I like that neither of us actually know the the chief surgeon's name. I know him as ho dad. Yeah, ho, ho dad and Doctor Shaky Hands. Yeah, Captain Shaky Hands. Yeah. Um, would uh, wouldn't there be nurses in the room? And well, there were. There was that one nurse in the back who was just like, I can't believe it's happening and trying to come up with a lie or something like that. Okay. I thought there was another no, I think, resident. I, I think thought that it was, was assu- all residents. I think that was assumed that there were some scrub nurses in there. Too. Okay. So, yeah. So, you know those nurses, they shouldn't be covering up for that doctor either. Mm-hmm. There's none of them should be covering up for each other, but I'm sure they realize that they like screwed up real bad. So, if, any win got out that they were taking selfies in the OR, they all would have been fired. Right. And you can't delete your photos. It's in the cloud. <laughs> so that that's the opening. That's that shows I, that 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 there that something is rotten in the state of Denmark. And I wrote, what a way to start f this show after that first opening part. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and that's kind of been his feelings throughout. And that was only the first like six minutes of this show. Yeah. Uh, from there we move into so which one of these is the resident that is the resident so, is it bright eyed and bushy tail resident I think or is it, it I think it's supposed to be jackass I think it's supposed to be bright eyed bushy tail uh, Devin because mm-hmm. um, you know it's his first day and he's he's not keen to the world of medicine yeah 
as uh, Conrad. Conrad, who is uh, a dick. Ba- who basically should be wearing leathers and riding it on his motorcycles. Yeah. Uh, Devin, you know, is is the young geeky freshman throughout the show, except for in the very first scene where he's the suave debonair boyfriend who gets the Rolex as a gift from his girlfriend. Where she said that's part of the doctor's uniform. I've never seen any doctor, let alone a resident, wear a Rolex to work. Right. Period. Um, I mean, I, I noticed just on Conrad, the, the douchey resident, mm-hmm. the number of rings and things he wears is yeah. more like... You're wearing a silicone ring right now. Yeah. For the sake of sterility. I, I don't want to bring in nice, wear my nice wedding ring to work because on a daily basis, there's a lot of bodily fluids that I would prefer not to bring home if I can. Yeah, exactly. And wearing a Rolex, you're going to get, you're going to bring home some, some stuff. Mm-hmm. And I don't want any of that stuff home. Right. So that was kind of annoying. Um, it was kind of cute that he showed up to work. Um, all dressed up, shirt, tie, wearing his Harvard tie. That's believable believable to me. That's believable, except for the fact that he walked in with his white coat still in the plastic wrap of the dry cleaner. Not believable. (laughs) That white coat will not stay white for that long. I remember after my first year, my white coat was a nice, let's say, eggshell color. (laughs) Mother of pearl. Mother of pearl would be nice, but it definitely turned much more grody and yellow by the end of it. So that was not the way to go. Also, the first day, they all walk in, and it was like this nice harp uh, reception in mm-hmm. the, the atrium of the hospital. That is not how my first day... I think not how anyone's first day of residency is. What's your first day of residency actually like? Hey, uh, figure out what rotation you're on and show up there. Congratulations, you're on your first day of residency. That's it. Mm-hmm. So mine was actually in a community clinic, so I just showed up. Uh, walked around really lost, asked the nurse or the receptionist at the front, like, hey, I'm Dr. Vane. I'm a brand new intern. I don't know where to go. Please help me. That was my first day. And I spent the rest of that day wandering around, not knowing where anything was and constantly asking my attending, not another resident, what am I supposed to do? So that's the hard part. Um, there so was you no didn't free... have an, an introduction to the chief of surgery? No, 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 not at all. I think the only nice thing was my attending, who was very, very sweet, um, made me some treats on my first day of work saying, welcome to being a doctor, and that was it. <laughs> but nothing as fancy as this at all. Um, everyone was very confident on their first day. That is not, I would say 95% of the time, that is not the, the sense that I get from new interns yeah they, they they don't even try to portray confidence no it's just i really don't know what i'm doing i need mm-hmm. help kind of thing and it i mean that's that, good that's a very good humble thing to do and most of the time these days the first month at least a lot of the programs that i worked at the first month of residency isn't even um they're not even touching patients at that time we call it like a boot camp kind of thing so you learn what to do um basic things orienting yourself to the hospital basic procedures learning uh acls or pals which is just like uh life-saving kind of mechanisms or life-saving um algorithms that you should be learning so Mm -hmm. all these things just to get you ready to start working on your own so you're not even in there running a code right away on your first day right um yeah we can skip over i think the introduction between uh uh Patel and Conrad. Uh-huh. Obviously, Conrad's not going to your first moment with your your attending. Uh-huh. And he's which not is even what he a, should have been. But he's not an attending. He's a resident who studied the chart of the intern and like knows everything and just calls him out on everything. Uh-huh. It, you're not going to start with with sexual harassment in in your first three minutes. No. Holy crap! That was the worst. No pun intended. But they said the first patient was a patient. Oh, I was good. I was no. This was I was going to that patient. Oh, I'm just talking about him. Just he just checking. Out oh my the god, women in the gym. I totally forgot about that part. Yeah, yeah. being a total perv in a ski, basically. Yeah. Oh no, that is that is a no no. But it's okay because he saves lives. Except it's not. That is not a justifiable right. reason. Exactly. Not at all. Um, that just kind of harkens back to the days of med school where my my classmates would wear their pagers into bars and whatnot and mm-hmm. then pretend to get paged and either <laughs> use that to 
uh, impress or escape from a girl that they're talking to. So douches exist. I mean, that's not surprising, especially in the field of medicine, where mm-hmm. definitely there's a lot of God complex going on. Kind of like Conrad. There's right. a lot of a God complex coming on where only he can save lives and no one else can. Well, yeah. yeah. He's got the tattoo. Oh, the death before dishonor or something? Well, he's got death before dishonor on his shoulder blades, and then he's got the, the staff oh, God. on his forearm. I've seen that tattoo on a lot of wannabe surgical residents in med school. It just makes you think of uh, Todd on Scrubs with his doc. Yeah, that's exactly what you'll see. It's just, oh my god, this show. This show has broken me so many times. Patel's first interaction with a patient is a... Um, is it Croatian or something? He's Croatian, only speaks Croatian, and his he's present, presenting with something related to paralysis. Yeah, so he had something called... Uh, cauda equina syndrome so at the base of your uh, spinal cord you have all your nerves where, where your wisdom is where your wisdom hole is obviously where your oh god I, I totally <laughs> forgot about the wisdom hole um, but yes where the wisdom hole is there's a lot of um, so your, your spinal cord kind of goes to a cone and then it kind of frays out into a bunch of um, nerves and it looks like the tail of a, a horse mm-hmm. cauda equina so one of the big things with cauda equina is if you have sustained uh, injury to that area, the first symptoms you'll get is numbness and tingling in your perineum, which is the area between your, if you're a woman, vagina in your butthole, or if you're a male, like your scrotum in your butthole. It's the taint. Your taint. Yes. Thank you. Um, oh, and you'll also have loss of... Not medical terminology. Still... <laughs> I say balls at work all the time to explain body parts to kids. It's fine. Um, <laughs> but you also lose sphincter tone of your anus. Mm-hmm. Um, but also you also can have bowel and bladder uh, incontinence. So you'll so, Oh, so yourself. this was an injury that he was pre- presenting with and not most, an infection. Either that likely. or you could have a tumor or something mm-hmm. like that. But any kind of like pressing on that area can cause that. So the Conrad pimps Devin saying what's what does this cause you've discussed what pimping is before but what's pimping in the medical context put in my place so asking a question asking a question that you don't expect that the the resident to know the answer so that they feel stupid and know that they need to learn more correct so quizzed him Mm -hmm. um and he says early paralysis but really the answer is if you don't fix it you're gonna get permanent paralysis so you need to fix it quickly yeah is that accurate yeah you need to fix it quickly so really you need an mri and all that stuff not serial rectal exams right so what they actually what they did was we don't have time for a for an mri put your finger up his butt Uh uh-huh and then leave it there while you figure out what to do yes that's gonna get you fired plus if you had a patient with concern for cauda equina syndrome you can kick a lot of people out ahead of you in the mri scanner line because this is because because of the speed yeah because if you don't fix it soon, it's going to cause permanent um, deficits. Like, you don't want to lose butthole for the rest of your life. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's nope. essentially one thing. And then also lower limb paralysis, too. Yeah. Also, also, also bad. Uncomfortable. Yeah. So that's like the big stuff that you'd be worried about. So leaving your finger in a patient's rectum while your senior resident is going around, I don't know, making out with one of the nurses or something like that, that's rape. Yeah. That's going to get you fired. And that is just horrible. And the other thing you'll notice when you watch at least this first episode is there is no supervision of the residents at all. That's why I didn't understand that he was a, a resident. I assumed that he was a fellow. And he's not, though. He's just... But even then, like, a fellow still needs supervision from mm-hmm. an attending physician. There's no way a resident can do all of these very invasive things without some kind of supervision. Because you don't know what's going on yet. You're still learning. That's the biggest thing. Right. So that's kind of scary. And it's kind of even crazier that other residents are consulting other residents for medical diagnoses. Like the lupus diagnosis, that one is basic stuff. And if you're a resident and you don't know that already, you're an idiot. I feel like that scene only existed because of House. That that scene was there because lupus was the holy grail for House. That or sarcoidosis. Mm Mm-hmm. Those were the two. It was the holy grail for House. Mm Mm-hmm. So they had to show it in the very first scene to show we are even more badass than yeah. than House. Yeah. We got lupus right away. All right. The other crazy part is they're all internal medicine residents, mm-hmm. but they all act like um, 
ER residents and ER ICU residents and pediatricians, pediatricians, um, and uh, surgeons, surgeons. So they do all of it, and they also have the audacity to go to the chief of surgery and, and show up in his office, show up in his office and tell him off and tell him how stupid they are. Me as an attending have has fear. Mm-hmm. I can't even say a full sentence because it's so nerve wracking with the thought but like myself as an attending i will not go up to the chief of medicine and tell him he's an idiot that's like a horrible thing to do there's a certain level of respect you should have for these people that are higher up and yes you might disagree with what things they do at times but there's better ways to express it than Mm -hmm. calling him out and calling him an idiot or making up the name hodad for chief of surgery that's really unprofessional it would get out it would get out and it's not an appropriate way to work in a hospital environment. You're you're a resident still. You're still learning. Mm-hmm. That's the most important part that they should be conveying in this part is like they're human. They're still learning. There's people that are trying to help and back them up. You don't know everything yet. No doctor knows everything. So one of the things that, that Conrad said, mm-hmm. uh, this is going back a little earlier, mm-hmm. uh, was that he had the power to get Patel removed from from the residency and that, that would tank his career. Would number one, would getting removed from your residency tank your career? Oh yeah. Okay. So oh, that's yeah. accurate. Because let's say you left even if you voluntarily left your residency and you want to restart, um, you have to explain why you left and then you have to get a letter from your old program director and all of that stuff. Saying too. that it was on it, it was on, on good, good terms, terms and it wasn't because you did something bad. Did or something, something like bad, that. or so were unprofessional, or correct? Whatever. Yeah. So getting kicked out of a residency, though, like that's pretty serious stuff. Thinking back to my general residency, um, or at least the university that sponsored it, there were other residents that got removed from their program because they did shady things like trying to start a union without consulting all the people and under false pretenses and stuff like that. Oh wow! So that, and he tried to collect dues for himself. Oh. So that got him kicked out of his residency, and he can't get another residency because of that. Yeah. So getting kicked out... I'm all for unions, but... Yeah, but not under false pretenses, and also not collecting dues to buy a new car. Right. So that's kind of essentially what he did, and that got him into a lot of trouble. (laughs) Yeah. So... So that's question one. Yeah. Question one, would getting removed from your residency tank your career? Mm -hmm. Answer, yes. Yeah. Question two... Could a more senior resident say, just like have carte blanche to say, nah? No. Because there could be a number of reasons why. You know, like maybe that one resident doesn't like you, mm-hmm. but everyone else thinks you're fine. It's all ultimately up to the program director whether or not you get removed from your mm-hmm. residency. Conversely, it is also up to the residency director whether or not you graduate. So okay. they can decide you did not fulfill um, the criteria needed to graduate. We feel that your knowledge is not appropriate to graduate. You need to do a couple more months before we can deem you an appropriate doctor. Would that generally be something that would reflect poorly on you down the line? Or would that just be a... It can if you want to do fellowship. Okay. Um, it can also reflect poorly if you want a job at a very competitive place. Okay. Because let's say I took the normal... 36 months i believe it is to graduate Mm -hmm. whereas someone else took 40 months because they had to repeat a couple rotations they'll probably hire me over that person because i didn't have an issue with delay unless there was a very specific reason like medical or something like like medical or yeah something yeah usually it's medical is the big one or family emergency or Mm -hmm. something like that but yeah that so conrad does not have carte blanche for any of that stuff right at all so, and then, so later on in the episode, they're down in the ER again. Mm-hmm. Why? Why? Especially uh, given how this prestigious of a hospital it is. Also, this hospital's huge. It's huge. They've got enough donors that they have a VIP floor, which we'll touch on later. Oh, sweet God. But they've got, their their residents are bouncing back and forth between oncology yep. and ER yeah. and PEDS yeah. and... And I Wherever think, gangrene toe would be. Oh, God. Gangrene toe. I don't know how he got into a patient room and not stopped in the ER. That toe would have fallen off already. Like, mm-hmm. If that toe was fragile enough that it was just a little tap and it fell off, 
someone would have looked at it in advance. Yeah, and also when he lifted off the blanket, that should have ripped off mm-hmm. the toe. And the smell would have been obvious for everybody already okay. at that point. So gangrenous toe is not something that you'd miss. But also, toes don't get that gangrene. And stay on. And stay on, really. It And the stink probably would have ruined someone's day already that they would have been in the ER a lot sooner. Like, that's a very late stage finding. And that man should look a lot more sickly because a toe that infected... It's patient, not just the toe. Correct. The patient should be much more infected, mm-hmm. too. Like, that's just as a sign of poor vascular nerve... Or, sorry, uh, poor vascular... Peripheral vascular issues for that patient. That we, we touched on, on the gangrene scene a little earlier. Yeah. I do want to talk about the doctor making out with the nurse. Oh, God. And before that, uh-huh. we had the resident, uh, Conrad, uh-huh. went and... Not Conrad, I'm sorry. Patel went and complained to a what nurse. we found out was a nurse uh-huh. about the resident he was assigned to. Yeah. He snitched. He snitched. Yeah. Why is that an issue? There's other people you can snitch to, but also you don't He, want... he went to her like she was in like charge a, of the program. Yeah, though. and she's not. But also don't snitch to the nurse because... Don't snitch to the nurse because you don't know what kind of relationship she has with the people she's working with. Yes. For example. She's banging Conrad. At work. Yeah. That's a no-no. That Yeah, I, I would think so. Yeah. Um, I did enjoy the fact that she managed to lock him in, which means that they have rooms that lock from the outside. Not safe. Yeah. I'm it, not a fire code podcast. No. But. You don't want your call room to lock on the outside you especially if your doctors are all sleeping in the call room and there's an emergency and now the doctors can't get out to help with the emergency that's bad i can't imagine any room at the hospital you would want to lock from the outside because even some psych psych rooms oh psych room psych rooms do um they have uh, you can actually kind of control a little Mm -hmm. bit but even then we try not to lock you wouldn't want it to just be a a push button lock. Correct. That yeah. anyone could lock. There really shouldn't be any locked doors in, like a push door lock, anyways, mm-hmm. in the in any kind of hospital room. Badge access room, yeah, fine. different. We do have badge access to like certain like trauma bays and whatnot mm-hmm. because you don't want looky loose to come in and crowd right. the area, and um, you have badge access into certain departments like the pediatric ward. You can't just open that door. That's mm-hmm. locked from the outside. You can't go in. But we, we've talked about the uh, in the in-depth procedures uh, like security in, in the NICU with Courtney. Yeah, and also in Seinfeld where people just go around and rob stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But can we just go back to, I guess, when all the residents go to the ER for this patient who has leukemia and now has fever? Yeah. So they kind of toss out a bunch of catchphrases or a bunch of medical terms, which actually was correct. So if you have a patient with leukemia and they come in with a fever, the first things you want to do is get a line um, or access their port, which is where they get chemo, Mm -hmm. um, and draw labs and get a blood culture and start them on antibiotics right away. So him saying, let's get cultures, labs. They said cultures from both arms. Yeah. Would there be a reason to do that? So for for adults, you usually want to get two blood cultures because there's always a chance of a false positive. So you want to confirm. And so you want to be from separate areas. Correct. Um, but usually this a patient with cancer, you would expect them to have a port. So you actually mm-hmm. want a culture from their port because the last thing you want to do is have an infection in a central line that's near their heart mm-hmm. to have bacteria inside of it. Cause if that's the case, you need to remove that and put a new one in. Right. And then starting broad spectrum antibiotics, which is also correct. But then all of a sudden he goes, let's get a CT of her head. Why? <laughs> There's no neurologic changes. The patient's talking and maintaining properly. That is not first line kind of things you should you should be doing blood work first because that's not part of your septic code and then she also had like a syringe hanging out of her arm again don't know why but there's no blood or anything like that and then they just kind of give her and treat her and they treat her like she's a vip kind of patient because it's conrad's favorite patient Mm -hmm. everyone's taking care of her we all have our frequent flyers in the emergency department that we know we know their family. We've seen them a lot and stuff like that. So, yeah, we all are kind of attached to them and trying to make sure that we do the best that we can. Um, I just don't get how later when the patient starts decompensating, 
no one's in the room wearing like a mask or gloves or anything like that for an immunocompromised. When she, yeah, when she has leukemia. Yeah, because she's immunocompromised. She's more prone to infection more than anything. And everyone in the hospital is covered in germs. Mm-hmm. So everyone should be wearing at least masks and gloves before they touch that. As patient. opposed to at least taking off the tie was a good move. Yes. Uh, tie is a choking hazard. Tie? You get an angry patient, they will choke you with it. Um, I also heard infection hazard because they can't be laundered easily. Exactly. I, don't, I never wear a tie to work. and had, I don't think I've worn a tie to work since the second month of residency. <laughs> I never wore a tie since then. Um, but yeah, kind of going, but kind of jumping back. So the patient starts decompensating. Her blood pressure drops. Nick, the nurse that was hooking up with Conrad, asks if he wants to push Levofed. And he, the resident, or the intern. What is Levofed? Levofed is... Um, Think of it like a epinephrine kind of okay. Cousin, it's, it's, it, it's, it, it maintains your blood pressure, causes vasoconstriction, so that you don't like keep tanking your blood pressure. So he turns her down and says, "I want to do a central line." Central lines take a, quite a while. Like you have to be sterile, you have to drape them, you have to get an ultrasound, you have to do all this stuff to make sure that you have correct placement. Well, good news, mm-hmm. they didn't do all that stuff. No, they didn't. Um, so. The correct answer there would have been, yes, push Levofed and then do the central line. And then make sure you have two IVs that are working. Mm-hmm. If you can't get two IVs working, take out the intraosseous drill and just drill yeah, into the, the bone. Which we discussed. Yeah. That's the drill that goes into the bone to pump drugs directly into and your bone. And fluids, too. And fluids. Oh, and fluids. Okay. Yeah. So you can actually pump fluids, too. So those are things you should be doing to maintain her blood pressure while you try to stabilize her enough to put a central line in. Because when you do a central line... The drape is so big. It a covers, central line is a line that's going almost much, directly into the almost heart. Almost directly into the heart. It goes into a main vessel that can deliver medications and fluids directly to your heart. And the reason you do that is because that means that it's going to be dispersed incredibly quickly? That, but also certain medications you can't put through a peripheral IV um, for a prolonged period of time. Because if you think about this way, if you put epinephrine through... Uh, a regular IV consistently, eventually that vessel is going to get irritated, clamped down, and to the point where you can't use it anymore. Okay. So you want a, a and something one. that's so essential and so fast acting like epinephrine, you don't want that to happen and need to do everything to administer it all over again. Well, it's not so much that, but it's you're you're playing long long term kind of situation. Okay. So you want something that will last longer, and you're able to give higher volumes. And also more caustic medications and more dangerous medications through a bigger vessel and a more durable line than just a wimpy IV. Because an IV is essentially just a straw that goes into into your your vein. vein. Yeah. So that's why. And when you do a central line, you're draping a patient completely from head to toe almost. So if that patient decompensates, like stops breathing or anything like that, you can't see that Mm -hmm. really well. Um so you need to make sure the patient's okay before you do any of that because if that patient decompensates, you have to take everything off. Now you have to do chest compressions, but you have a, yeah. a, a gaping hole in their neck that can potentially you know, burst and pour blood everywhere and whatnot, and that's not an optimal situation. <laughs> and the way he did the central line is not how any of us were taught how to do central lines. And how did he do a central line? He took a scalpel and stabbed straight down. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> And as you probably can guess, you don't want to stab straight down with a, a scalpel in a neck. Right. Right? So there's multiple ways you can do it. The safest way to do it is using an ultrasound, um, putting a large bore needle in, uh, well, using an ultrasound, finding the blood vessel, using a large bore needle, putting that into the vessel, put a wire in, and then gradually dilate the hole with dilators until it's big enough that you can pass the central line into there. Mm-hmm. The other way you do it is what we call Seldinger, where you use a blind needle, and you kind of just aim in the direction and kind of dig until you get a flash of blood. And once you get that, that's you when know you know that you hit. Yep. That's when you know you're in the vein, you pass a wire through, and then you kind of go from there. But you don't want to do that on an unstable patient, and that's essentially what this patient was. It's a septic, crashing patient in shock, and you want to stabilize the patient before you do something so... Um, so dangerous right yeah or you can just stab them with a scalpel and then kill them quicker okay way faster um what other things there were there were two other medical things that killed me the code right that was bad so there there were there was the the so a patient comes in drug user Mm -hmm. uh 
you could tell she was a drug user because she had a green streak in her hair, purple streak in her hair. Yeah. Um, so Rob. obviously drug user. Yeah. Um, and uh, Conrad, the biker resident, mm-hmm. immediately says... No. I, like, I like how you call him biker resident. He wrote a bicycle. He did write a bicycle. <laughs> no, because he should be... He, he, he's the Fonz. No. He's he's like a egotistical douchebag yep. who the rules don't apply to me. No. Um, Which definitely does tie in with this case, for sure. Right. We had, <clears throat> had a patient come in who was a drug user... Everyone knew was a drug user, and he immediately says that when she she's coming in with what looks like a psychotic episode, and he immediately says it's endo, which means so I don't know what he was talking about for endo. Um, the patient looked like she was withdrawing. Mm-hmm. Um, when he said endo, that's not a term we normally use to refer to what he was trying to say endocarditis. But when you say endo, we all think endocrinology. Which it doesn't sound like a metabolic issue. Yeah, or, endocrinology is like your is, hormones and stuff like that. Yeah. So like diabetes or thyroid issues or whatnot. That's an endocrinolog- endocrinological crisis. Mm-hmm. What he was trying to refer to is what she might have had is endocarditis, which is like infection of the heart. Um, and he's pointed out Osler nodes, which is one of the things that I learned on I think my second week of medical school. <laughs> Where it's just like um, nodes on your skin, which is a indicative finding of endocarditis. And that's kind of where he was going down with that. And he bargained with her to get medical treatment. Right. If if you will let me give you antibiotics, I will give you Dilaudid. And then they negotiated how much Dilaudid. Right. That is so inappropriate on so <laughs> many levels. I would say you shouldn't be negotiating um, medical care like that. That's not safe for anybody. And you're potentially putting a patient, or you're reinforcing bad behavior. You're reinforcing bad behavior, and that means that next time they come in, Mm -hmm. when they have a good doctor, Mm -hmm. uh, which is an entirely different series. Oh, God. um, They're going to end up with not not being able to negotiate for their care and and delaying things by hours. At least, spoiler alert for this patient... She's not going to have that issue in the future. That's true. Yeah. Because she, she starts... Uh, does she, I forget. Does she seize or does she... She just drops. Um, she uh, And Conrad, the slightly more senior resident, mm-hmm. uh, says, Patel, this is yours. Yeah. He let an intern, a first day baby intern, run a code by himself. Um, it's kind of crazy because he goes, what's the first thing you check? And he goes, rhythm. The first thing you check in a patient, we always are taught the ABCs. So airway, Air, breathing, circulation, yeah. right? That's actually something I knew, yeah. and that's, you know, most of a theater education. Yeah, and you're supposed to look to see if the patient's breathing or not. That's way more important. So people are doing CPR really crappily. Um, I think at one point they said you need to do CPR to the point where you can feel ribs cracking. Mm-hmm. The correct answer is about two to three inches deep or a third of the chest um, really pushing down. So then... He goes, oh, what's the rhythm? They say PEA. That's not PEA. PEA means pulseless electrical activity. So it actually looks like they're having a pulse, but when you feel for a pulse... Oh, yeah, we talked about that. You don't have a pulse. That patient... But if you look at the monitor, that patient's in asystole, which just flatlines. So So you wouldn't have a rhythm of PEA. Correct. The rhythm is asystole in this this situation. We do have rhythm of PEA. I'll have patients... So so that that would be something that you would call a rhythm. Correct. Like... You'll say you'll look at the monitor. You'll have someone feel a pulse. They'll say I can't feel a pulse, and someone will just yell, "Okay, the patient's in PEA," because the electrical activity is working, Mm -hmm. but the muscles of the heart is not. not. Yeah, and then I do like how someone goes, "Do you want us to shock him or shock her?" And he goes, "No, no shock. This is not a shockable rhythm." So they actually did something right there. Okay, it's asystole. You don't shock asystole, but they were all doing such bad and bad, bad CPR, and then. Devin Patel, bush, bright-eyed, bushy-eyed, or bright-eyed, bushy-tailed Devin Patel goes in, does CPR, and does it super, super fast, and then brings her back to life. Mm-hmm. Uh, after 26 minutes. After 26 minutes. The other thing is, when everyone was doing CPR, if you do CPR in real life, you actually see it on the monitor, like the thing. You'll, you'll see it. It'll look like a heartbeat. It'll kind of look like a heartbeat, but it'll also go at the rate of how fast you're pushing. Mm-hmm. So it might be very disorganized and whatnot. So you'll actually still see that kind of stuff. Um, so you won't get the flat line unless, CPR unless that no one's touching on that TV. patient. Yeah, unless no one's touching the patient. Okay. If no one's touching the patient, and you leave them alone, and you see asystole, 
um, you only get like 10 seconds to check. Then everyone jumps back on the chest and continues doing CPR. Oh, okay. Yeah. I've learned things. Yeah. Um, so then they also, so the patient was down for like what, 26, 26 minutes? 26 minutes, they said. And they also said that her end tidal CO2 was like 15 or something like that, which means she wasn't breathing really well or making mm-hmm. enough CO2. Um, there was no way to monitor it. There was nothing on her face or anything like that. So there was just a guesstimate. Right. But I mean, the end of it still says the patient is dying. Or brain dead. Right. So they, that was right. Yep. And they and then Conrad just really guilts him about it for saving someone who's essentially just a brain stem and whatnot. And I get it. That's it's it's a hard thing to do, but it's really hard to call a code when it's someone who's really young. Like they've it's been shown where the younger the kid or younger the patient, the longer you're gonna run a run a code to try to save someone. Mm-hmm. It's it's just how it is, and especially in an in hospital code where you actually see someone go down with efficient with efficient cpr you can bring back a patient relatively um at a high rate mm-hmm. high rate of success yeah so but then the patient's brain dead it sounds like yeah and towards the end of the episode i'm surprised no one did brain dead tests or anything like that checking if her pupils still work if she can breathe on her own or anything like that conrad just goes in and tries to murder her yeah, he he goes in, he flips the off switch on on the this is the one machine that is keeping them alive. Yep. Um and it's off for a good 10 seconds and then ex-girlfriend comes in. Comes in and so he switches it back on. Yep. That that patient's dead. Yeah. I I kind of gathered that. Yeah. I, there's, I, there's so many like cynical this is actually one of the most cynical medical shows I've ever seen mm-hmm. like no one's good mm-hmm. medicine's bad um, doctors all have a god complex don't trust anyone right we're not even getting into the robot surgery oh I don't know we, we, can, we can come back to that That's, yeah. that can be a bonus episode sometime yeah. but, cause... I, but I will say there's one more case I just want to touch on before like I go insane uh-huh. is um, this case where the chief of surgery is in on a patient that's coding too, right. and the patient has a very ha- fast heart rate. Mm-hmm. So they push adenosine and all that stuff. So me hearing all that, I'm thinking this patient has SVT, which is supraventricular tachycardia, which just means your heart's just beating very fast because the electrical activity is just recirculating in a pathway it shouldn't be, and it's stimulating the heart to keep going. So they give him adenosine, which is actually one of the medications we use. And then all of a sudden, Conrad just comes in and just throws a throws bucket, a bucket of, ice. of ice. And but the patient's like in dire straits at that point. Just throws a bucket of ice, and then they wait like they, nobody 10, does anything. No one does for anything. A good twenty seconds, and then all of a sudden the patient starts breathing and they're fine. Right. So that definitely is not how it works. Okay. Um, uh, I think we were talking about this during the episode. I think this happened at the end of my first shift as an attending. So that's accurate. Yes. So, no. <laughs> in, in that that it happens on the first day of someone's... It, fair, fair. It does. So, really, what you're, you can do ice. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of causes you to bear down, causes what we call a vagal maneuver, and it can re, kind of re-jumpstart your heart. But the way we do it is we'll put ice in a bag and basically try to smother their face with the ice and suffocate them and almost try to suffocate them until they panic to the point where they take a big breath and that can do it um you can tell them to try to push down like they're trying to poop Mm -hmm. that's another vagal maneuver uh pushing on eyeballs not recommended but it does cause the same thing and then uh blowing through a straw can also cause that too i feel like we're just doing mad libs now i know it sounds crazy right but you can only do that on a patient that's stable this patient was not stable. This patient was not stable. Yeah. So you can do adenosine too. And that also stops the heart for like a good second. And it's scary because you'll actually look at the monitor. You can have a nice rhythm and all of a sudden flatline. Mm-hmm. And you know it's going to come back. But that's the longest two seconds ever. And all of a sudden it just starts jumping up again. And the patients, when they're awake, they can actually feel like they're dying for a second. And then all of a sudden it goes back. However, if none of that works and you've tried a couple of rounds and the patient starts having their blood pressure drop or they're going um they're getting altered they're not answering questions or anything like that you shock them so that's actually when you actually should be shocked the patient we saw zero shocks no shocks in this episode which is surprising for the amount of badness we saw yeah this should have been shock shock all day shock the series 
but surprisingly, no one's got shocked yet. Yeah. But I, I, I wrote so many times, I hate this show. I think it, it, I struggled to get through this entire episode, and it was only one episode. And our episode of the pilot episode of The Resident is longer than the pilot episode of The Resident. I'm, and I'm, we're skipping 20 minutes of the show. Yeah, about like this robotic surgery with yeah. Hodad and all that other stuff. Like This is really one of the worst medical shows or at least episodes of medical shows I've ever seen in my life. Well, next time I want you to suffer, we'll watch the second one. That's going to be for a later episode, but I'm bringing along other people <laughs> to, to have to share in the pain that I just shared too. So, the human centipede <laughs> builds itself as 100% medically accurate. Oh yeah. If that is true, how medically accurate is the pilot episode of The Resident? Look, this they're in a hospital. Okay, hospitals are real. That's real. Um, uh, residents are real. Okay. Certain uh, things... Harvard Medical School. Uh, I guess that's real too. Okay. I mean, there are certain things that are real. Okay. But when they mishmashed it together, it made it very less real. Okay. Um. What did I say? Matrix was it was probably low. Uh, you you gave it like a forty. It's gonna be about the Matrix level, to be honest. <laughs> Like, a computer simulation is more realistic than the crap that I saw. Okay. Like, there were some things that were true. Like, the some of the management for the first, like, two... It's like... in a Bad doctors exist. Yeah, bad doctors exist. I will say they get the first initial step right part of the time. Mm-hmm. The follow-through is horrible. Like, the contact, great. Follow-through, horrendous. It's just horrible in general. Um, so, yeah, I think... 30 to 40 is probably where I would go with this. Like, I, I That's me being generous. Like, The human centipede is way more accurate than this. There, was it the wisdom hole? Yeah. Yeah. No, the wisdom hole came from came from the Matrix. Oh, that came from the Matrix? Yeah. Still, way, way more accurate than some of the stuff that I saw today. Like, the ethical issues, the politics, the way people are acting, all that stuff, horrible. Like, these are doctors that should not be practicing medicine at all. So, I, I can't even start, even think about how to start to make this better, other than the fact that please hire a better medical consultant, because a lot of the stuff they're doing is reckless, and it's getting to the, it, it makes it very dangerous, only because you're giving a false impression of what the medical community is like. And I think that's the biggest concern about, at least watching the pilot episode, is seeing um, all these doctors practicing without supervision, um, seeing them doing very potentially dangerous and life-threatening things to patients, all at the risk of their, or all for the sake of their own egos. And Mm -hmm. I think that's the most dangerous thing. And where I was always taught, the minute you think you know everything as a doctor is the minute you're going to make a mistake that potentially can hurt someone. No doctor knows everything, but everyone in here acts like they know everything. And that's the scariest part about this show. So yeah, great. Um, normally, I'd say, what would we do to make the resident more medically accurate? That's why I cut you off, man. <laughs> yeah. So thanks, folks, for listening. Uh, we will be back next week with maybe some better medicine. Please, I'd rather watch like Ricky O or something like that and joke around about that one than watch something that's so rage inducing <laughs> as the show. Honestly, it's so rage inducing. Ah. Uh. In the meantime, you can find us on social media and everywhere at Hi Everybody MD, and you can give us a call at 530-DOCTORB with your thoughts on The Resident. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks, folks. I can't watch the show anymore.